so in in um, cultivation we're obviously dealing with the most immediate um, experiences we have through the senses um, this is the hallmark of the Buddha's teaching it's awakening liberation through what's direct directly experienceable here and now mm. it's awakening through this and so it's just the sensory world that's what we can see here touch taste smell conceive mm. so these the six sense spheres and uh, these are the two well these are the six uh, objective senses that define things for us and bring bring a world into as an object and of course they are um, partial in other words you don't hear every sound that possibly could be heard you only hear a certain range of sounds see a certain range of light frequencies and so on we build a world out of that and of course we, we assume that's all there is because that's all our senses perceive or recognize so, it, you know, so actually roses aren't red mm, it's just what we can see the redness but butterflies see different things and dogs see different things and so on so it's uh, this apparent world is really just the conditioned not created by our senses but dependent upon what, what our sense organs are capable of interpreting and there may be a lot more and science and the Buddha both said there's a lot more but dealing with this and dealing with it in a way that does recognize it's partial and it's conditioned and um, this is what we have to work with being born as humans what we can feel through our bodies bodily senses two <coughs> two aspects to it one is the external which is tactile um, to do with touching external objects and one is internal which is to do with sense of things like balance um, whether you feel tense or tight in the very sense of having a body mm, so these two one deals with the external uh, reference to the world and the internal reference to the body itself the pressures of the weight of it so when you're you know when the body needs to walk it has to feel both of those things mm, has to feel out is it okay with my feet on the ground and I'm, am I balanced am I about to fall over so in walking meditation both of those senses come into play you can contemplate them this is the body standing this is the body as it moves it knows it's moving how do we know we're moving we get particular um, shifts of pressure in the hips in the chest and then we also get the tactile sense touching things 
uh, and you develop these, you can tune into that, even a sense of touching, just touch, touching the air, or touching the, when the body feels there's nothing in front of it, the skin, you know, what it's like when you just feel the body senses this open space in front of it. Mm. And of course we do a lot of body meditation because it helps the more we, if you like, um, direct a center of attention towards that, it helps to, to take it out of the the mental sense, which is often the most complex and um, stressed <coughs> and confused sense. So the body sense gives us something to, it gives us a reasonably clear reference in the limitations of the body, but it's not the you know, highly socialized and affected state of the, the mind. Well, should we talk about the mind and the body? These also have two affective senses. So you have the six object senses and two aff- affective senses, the bodily affective sense and the mental affective sense. This is to do with the ability to feel pleasure and pain. The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue don't feel pleasure and pain. They're neutral. The body has the ability to to discern pleasurability, and the mind has the ability to discern pleasurability. The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue don't have that ability. That's not, that's beyond their range. There's a neutral. Um, So, in the way they. So the this is so this in the mental sense this is chitta the ability to feel pleasurability and so chitta is affected by mind mano manas which is that which organizes and brings up mental topics thoughts or create organizes these things and chitta is the in that sense is emotional emotive. It's the kind of sense of um, being affected by, being pleased, and so forth. Also, there's a cognitive quality to it, jitta, which is interprets. Um, so, jitta affects maybe things like, um, which we often call feelings. They're not really feelings in the Buddhist sense. You might feel proud, you might feel depressed, you might feel welcomed, you might feel rejected. And these are not feelings, these are cognitive interpretations or sanya interpretations of things. You may feel lonely, you may feel sad, you may feel happy, you may feel um, great, wonderful, or anything. Yeah. And these, these are affective senses, jitta, sanya, perception. And it's... Um, and then you have volitional impulses, which also jitter effects. That is, I respond, and the response immediately may be, um, you know, something in me. I feel frightened, therefore, I, something in my jitter tenses up. I become angry, or I become, uh, I feel sad and and deflated. So you get this kind of response to those sanya, you know. So somebody scolds me, I might very well lash back, 
or I might cringe and sink down. That I actually act that out or not is another thing, but in a jitter that's what can occur. Hmm. Or a range of other things. So that's response. This is chetana, volition response. And that may very well come out in our actions. So this is where the jitter is. It's effective, it's uh, interpretive, and it's responsive. Hmm. This is the jitter sense. This is and it's primarily linked to uh, the mind, thinking mind, or the conceiving mind, but it's also affected by the other senses. So you don't actually see anything beautiful, you see something, and that uh, jitta rises to that and interprets that as pleasing, beautiful, and a happy sense comes up. And then the volition can come up, I want that, I like more of that, I don't want to see that change, I like that to be like that, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So these are all jitta effects. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's primarily associated with the mind, so that even when our eyes closed, and so on, then we're getting jitter effects off the mental sense base, what we think, remember, and so on. Feeling sad, feeling depressed, feeling happy, feeling craving, feeling longing, feeling reluctance. All these are um, you know, sannyas and responses to mental things. If you remember something you did five years ago, feel a bit regretful or nostalgic and then what can you do about that uh, so that's often quite a those three t- happen very quickly so that that sense of the sanya very asks for response says that was a terrible thing you did so now, you know, we don't know what to do really. You know, how to respond to that. It kind of calls for a response, but you don't really know what to do because it was in the past. So, you know, this kind of sense of don't know what to do, feel a bit helpless or doubtful. That brings up the jitter effect of of perhaps doubt or depression, helplessness, or we may very well respond to that by being angry with ourselves. You know, so you, so you know, the response comes up. It isn't always necessarily a straightforward response. Do something. If you, nothing you can do, particularly if it's a memory of something in the past, to do it. The response is well, I don't know what to do. Well, just well, when you beat yourself up, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> can't just kind of let it go, you're so uh, anguish about it, or determine you're never going to do that again, or something. So you get some kind of response comes up, I don't know. Or, you know, or something that was pleasant comes up, you know, that was in the past, well, what do I do with that? Well, I don't know. Uh, well, think about it again, it was pleasant, 
So do it again. And think about it again because it was pleasant. And I'll keep thinking about it. Uh, 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 I should do it. I should do it. I should, you know, I should uh, phone up my old girlfriend or whatever it was. You know, the fact that she's, you know, 60 years old and gone bald by now, it doesn't matter. You're trying to recapture something that happened in the past. So that you get these kind of pushes of craving or longing or um, regret and so on. And the, the responsive thing kicks in, do something. Even to do something is just remember it again, send it spinning around again one more time because at least it was pleasing. Or you don't know what to do with it if it was unpleasant, but it goes spinning around again because it hasn't found a way to be resolved. So, how do you respond to all that? Of course, in brief, the Dhamma practice theme is, well, you just know it as a mood and let it... Don't, you know, you don't exactly respond to it. You respond to it by just being mindful of that. Let that arise and have its say and so on. Of course, it doesn't always happen like that because um, the jitta is affected by itself as well. So when we sense, oh this is a bit greedy, or this is a bit hateful, or this doesn't feel quite appropriate, then, then we get the effect of that is, oh dear, um, mind is not very good, hopeless, defiled, wasting my time, never going to get anywhere. So you get this particular effect, jitter effect, you get de- one gets a bit depressed, or and then that very much affects our ability to have um, resolve and inspiration and uplift in a meditation, because the meditation is it's also is directed through the jitta, my inspiration, my sense of purpose, clarity. You know, this is going to help me, whatever. Those things are jitter effects. So, you know, we're often in this way of trying to cope with all this backlog of past stuff coming up without feeling overwhelmed or um, incapacitated by it. So often the response that helps us is just be present right now, coming into the body. The body has an effective sense also, which is not always so uh, well known, the somatic sense, which is the body also is affected by pleasure and pain, comfort, discomfort. It needs to know that. It's a basic way of steering us out of danger and into well-being. It needs to know that. Um, so the, the body's emotions, if you like, are somatic. They are kind of surges and flows and flushes and rushes and 
tingles and things of this nature and the uh, body expresses itself in this particular way when you feel um, you might really say you feel upset you can feel a bit body feels sick or deflated or low you know, or you can feel your body can feel can experience itself as very um, tense and bristling when you feel one feels threatened so the body kind of charges up sends its energies around in this particular way and it's nothing to do with the the uh, flesh and blood and bones it's to do with the body's sense of protecting or responding to what the whole system is experiencing so you, you see some um, you know, I don't know a dog running towards you nothing is touching your body at all your body is not being touched but your eye sees that dog running towards you and your jitter says, oh, oh what's that and your body tenses up that's not a bodily <laughs> because the body is still just standing there so it's nothing to do with the physical uh, existence of the body it's to do with the body's somatic emotive response to what is seen mm. and what is seen but fundamentally what is uh, uh, it can be directly related to the external senses the ear, the eye, the nose so you hear a loud crash and your body jumps this is called the autonomous, automatic this is because the body uh, you know is so attuned to danger and threat it has to operate quicker than your m- mind can interpret something in case your mind's busy doing something else or nodding off or fascinated with a thought or something the body says, well forget the mind I'm just going to act so you get this kind of jump thing which means directly through the ear or, the, or you see something rush, flashes towards you and you duck before you even recognise it so it's, it's directly wired to the external senses this kind of affective interpretive experience of the body this is a somatic sense nothing to do with the body's textures or tactile um, experience at that particular moment also the body is, is affected by the the the, the jitta jitta's interpretations of things so it's a little bit slower than that automatic reflex but still you know you can look at the chores rotor and see your name down on six different chores a day and your shoulders sag <laughs> or something of that nature you know you get this kind of sinking sense in the heart and jitter interpretation goes into the body and uh, the the uh, uh, the more you contemplate this, you can recognise actually that there isn't really a jitter effect without a somatic effect. The two are co-nascent. You know, body, so at this level, body and mind are not separate. They arise. The intelligence, this kind of re- responsive intelligence, is one thing or one quality that, that is right there as we're conceived even there's a certain intelligence that you know knows what to do so it's even before you have external sense of this kind of very primary genetic or tissue intelligence which seeks the warm the protective you know 
life-maintaining experience. And so that's right there. And then, you know, through the birth gestation process, the other senses start to manifest as servants of this primary intelligence. And, and then that divides into the that primary intelligence divides into a, a mental interpretive aspect and a somatic aspect. The two are not separate, and so two affect each other. The reason why it's useful to know this is because very often one of the jitter effects that we we have that occurs for us is to pretend we're not affected. This isn't necessarily deceitful, it's sometimes it's actually protective. Like it's almost like freeze, numb out, uh, and then come back later, you know, ten seconds later, so you kind of kind of stay a shock. And, you know, eventually you come out of it and you're back on track again. Mm-hmm. Or something is a bit embarrassing, you know. Oh dear. So you can get that sense uh, when, when the, 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 the affective mind just kind of more or less stops. Yeah. Mm. So it num- numbs out. That's one thing that happens to us. One of the things that we don't have the capacity right now to really properly feel it's too much it's overwhelming for us so we numb out or we distract that is because the jitter operates through the mind think of something else think of think of something in other words turn to another sense door Mm. and the easiest one to go to because is is the mind so think something Mm. don't be here being affected by this think of something so that happens a lot distractive so you get numbing effects distracting effects um, these things. and also judgmental effects you shouldn't be feeling this um, so you get the judgment uh, comes up well you didn't feel it or it's not worth it. go somewhere else or you shouldn't be feeling it so then you get these also these effects this is all the delusion of not acknowledging the effect, you know, the direct, um, you know, uh, self-punishment for feeling an effect, or numbing out or distraction. And these are various forms, all based on delusion, and they're the greed, the hatred, the distraction, all come from this uh, delusion. And the delusion is based upon the obscurations or the limitations of the jitta to be able to handle effects. So ignorance is, avijja is not mere willful stupidity. It's actually like a, 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 a limitation. Jitta is not fully opened, not fully resourced, not fully endowed. Hmm. Or maybe it's, kind of, it's, it's, it's been cramped or twisted or shut down. So it isn't actually capable of really receiving these effects. Mm. The number of uh, you know, average people in the world is people dying every day. Everybody knows we're going to die. And yet uh, it's, it's not uncommon for people to not be able to handle 
that experience. Not it's their own, but other their death of a parent, son, friend, whatever. You know. So I think um, Ajahn Amro was saying, you know, he's like one of his sisters just she couldn't bear to acknowledge, you know, a mother passing away and to talk about something else. Or talk about when she's getting better, you know. So, and this is not uh, a lack of knowledge. One can't really blame people for this because it's like just it's just sad that the jitta has not, you know, doesn't have the capacity, has not been encouraged to develop, has not matured into the capacity, has not cleared away the obscurations um, to the point where we can be present with what our lives have to present to us. Pain, pleasure, separations, um, and belonging. Sometimes you can't bear to belong to things. <laughs> you know, be in contact, be in touch, be, be touched or be in contact with things. And these may not necessarily be life things, but kind of more momentary Mm-hmm. So these are these are these are the things that uh, when you look at you know like what is it what's being what happens to human beings you know born parents weaned you know in some kind of social unit or another happy unhappy you know grow up get old get sick have joy, have excited, you know, get strong, get weak, sick, lose people, separation, die. So, all that. And you can get, you know, the complexities of jitter effects so that because of the sense of separation, sometimes people are, um, you know, the jitter doesn't want to actually experience bonding because of the, you know, it's too painful to connect to something that's going to be taken away. So there's a huge amount there, as we probably all recognise in, you know, as we sense these senses of aloneness or overwhelmed. Suddenly, God, there's so many people and so much stuff going on. It's, oh, get me out of here, give me some space. Get out in some space. I always have a cup of tea and a chat with somebody. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so it just wavers around, doesn't it? Mm. So it just kind of you know, opening that out, really. Now, there are the thing, the the obscurations or the obscurities and the limitations of citta to bring up two very powerful effects for us. 
What is to do with the affective sense? That is how, you know, being touched, being moved. And this brings up a sense of me. This is happening to me. And whatever, you know, I'm threatened or I'm delighted, pleased or displeased, simply speaking. It's me. I'm being got at. I'm being loved. Me. This is the effective experience and it brings up this particular tone. The responsive is a sense of I, which is directive. I'm going to do this. I want one of those. I'm, I'm doing you know, that kind of sense. So the I sense and the me sense. These are the two ends of this jitter experience. One is the how we receive, how things get received, and and it's in, and how thing, how we, how the response comes up. And there's a me and an I, and they're often different from each other. Sometimes at loggerheads, because when I when I think about me, I think, oh my goodness, this me is really a bit pathetic sometimes. You know, instead of feeling sad, wasn't feeling happy, wanting you know, so affected by everything. Why don't you get it together, me? And then the me feels about the eye. This eye is so demanding all the time, wanting me to be this and that and the other. Why don't you shut up, give me a break? So you, you get these kind of conflicts between the me and the eye, and both of them trying to become myself. Which one's going to be myself today? <laughs> and I agree, just really you know, receptive and respond and t- tuned in and, and open and taking everything in and being with it and feeling the feeling and being really gentle or I'm going to be, you know, that level or I'm going to be out there not taking any rubbish from anybody standing my, standing my own ground, being firm, being decisive making clear decisions about what I'm going to do in my life you know, <laughs> you know which one's it going to be, or some sort of mixture of the two, and you know, you can sense one's going to get caught in a, in a, because you really want to have both of them um, you know, I like to be responsive and open for I get my own way <laughs> that's all <laughs> so they are uh, th- th- these, these are the you know, responsive and open to people I like, who, who are nice to me. I don't want to responsive and open to people who are nasty, cynical, twisted, bitter, vindictive, people I don't like. You know. So the, the me and the I are, are both have, are extremely, they're, they're, they're the expressions of the limitations of, the, of chitta. You know, they are in a way a shorthand Sign of this. This is the this is the limitation of it, because yeah. the me is very is limited, and what what me will can actually bear before it gets overwhelmed or tightens up. Mm-hmm. So it tends to swing into that sense of oh, this is just about the right volume, the right intensity, the right thing. Fine, and now oh, it's changing. Both in terms of you know oneself or 
external circumstances. And the eye um, could be swinging along quite nicely, um, but then it, you know, it, it, the, the eye sense is, is the one that we find perhaps most often in conflict with other people and situations because it's what I want to do. It doesn't always fit what anybody else wants to do. Not just what I want to do, but how I want to do it, what's important for me, the speed of it, the tone of it, the quality of it, you know, the amount of it, you know, all that. And that, you know, so there's a bit of frustration in that. And so these are both, these are both uh, signatures of the limitation, the, the ignorance, the avijja, the unawakened quality of jitta because they're signs of you know a response that can't quite be made because you know that's this frustration of the eye I've got all these things I want to do or be or not be and I can't you know, get in the way life doesn't allow it for me and then the, the eye senses if it could just be a bit more this and that and the other, I'd be happy. But and it, here we are, you know. And the, these two very powerful senses naturally direct our lives. We find the place where perhaps, as best as possible, both of those senses can be reasonably mollified, you know. I'm not doing things I really hate and detest, and I'm, you know, not with people I really can't bear, and uh, I'm getting some good stuff happening for me, not too much bad stuff. But it's limited. There's always a little bit of, of grit in in there, as we find in Sangha life, where, you know, actually, it's it's many ways it's a very comfortable life. In many ways, it's, it's extremely uncomfortable, partly um, because the you know the, the sense of there isn't a lot of um, the old pressures on the eye aren't there, and yet of course we have this sense of wanting to be enlightened, wanting to I've got to be enlightened, I've got to develop this, I should have one of those, I should experience this, and so forth, and. Also, we get more sensitive and receptive, so the little, you know, fluctuations in, in um, atmosphere, in emotional tones, people get a bit up, charged up, and that can make me feel slightly over effective. Things get busy, I feel frazzled, me feels frazzled. Things that go quiet, and I feel a bit cold and flat. You know, so so you get more attuned to that, and it makes it you get very uncomfortable. Partly because one's much more in touch with those those effective experiences, because we don't have a lot of stuff really to to do. So you're much more on the sensing these 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 jitter effects. So in meditation we have ways of, of mollifying all that. This, this is samatha. This is the happiest experience is when the 
the I, the I and the me are both comfortable. You know, I'm just getting a nice, pleasant, smooth, warm. You know, I'm getting getting some nice food here, nice energy, nice pleasant, reasonably pleasant feelings, and I can do it. I can get there and I can do it. Great. You know, so both my ability to do it and my ability to receive it are both getting um, met. You know, yeah, I feel good. Great. Mm. When it's like that, the the uh, I can imagine. Well, this is it. Then just more. That's all. <laughs> Of course, it isn't by any means the end of the story because the the I am and the me, although they're having a little nice time together right now, they're still there, and so you know. Now you can actually you operate through the senses. You can you can almost tempt with see how these senses operate, these effective senses operate. So, for example, with your visual consciousness, which is a very easy one for focusing. So just by focusing, you can get a sense of how the me and the I am, the I, intensify or weaken. So you go to the visual field, for example, and then you go right back to the most basic sense of seeing, without seeing any objects, you let the whole thing blur. So you're not directing your your vision on anything at all, and the eye drops away. This is a kind of diffused receptive sense, mm. and then as you come up from that into just being able to discern, have clarity in the visual field, then the me comes in at that level, and then it starts to walk. What should I look at now? What should the eye start? What should I? Oh, I'll, I'll look at the floor. I'll look at the something that's not going to bother me. You know, something's going to interest me. Something that won't be too stressful for me. You know, so, and then the eye starts to take over. Well, that's really good. Get into that. Feed on that, and you can intensify it. In, in concentration, down to just pinhead um, focus, where um, you know the object itself is almost lost because you're just focusing on one point of it. You can only maintain an object by scanning around it. If you focus on one particular small point, the object disappears. You just get this kind of sense of one-pointedness. Mm. So you know you can see how those senses fluctuate across that the um, the focusing range of the senses. So in meditation, then sometimes people will tend to, as they experiment, find oh, if I go to the really really diffused state, then that's a relief because there's no I am in it. Just kind of being here, knowing nothing, don't know mind, um, 
you know, all the senses dwindle to just kind of almost primary presence. And there's no sense of I with that because it's non-directive. It's kind of, oh, that feels pleasant or pleasing. See, that's kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is go intensely directive onto one point. So it's very tight and focused. Then the me disappears. It's just really doing it and holding it. Um, and the, the, this way, you, you, by exercising those, you can kind of come out of the habitual patterns of the me and the I am, which generally around the ordinary levels where you worry and fret and skip and dart and pick this and pick that and enjoy this and drop that. So you, you, know, you can actually determine to, to shift your focus and hold your focus in these extreme positions. And, and people do this, people like to do this, depending on their capacities. You know, so some people favor the deeply receptive, some people feel the deeply um, directive because neither of these is a solution. They're, they're a respite and they're quite interesting indicative because you can see the relativity, the conditioned nature of me and the conditioned nature of I am. You begin to recognize that. Yeah. This is helpful. Because if you recognise the conditioned nature of it, then one thing that can occur is one is, starts to take less seriously the the the, requi- the the wishes and the desires and the aversions and the tremblings of the me and the I am. You know? And there are ways in which we can come out of it and we get caught or obsessed. We're very highly directive. Can karma, when you're mind just goes into do, 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 just going back into the very open, receptive, letting everything go. If we, we can try that. And the senses have slightly different qualities. Um, so probably the most useful one for that is hearing. It's going to the, ear, hear, the hearing base because that is naturally much more receptive than the visual. So you just go to the sense of silence, hearing, hearing the silences, and that takes you to a much more receptive, um, open state if your mind is one that is habitually doing, trying to get it right, trying to work it out, trying to be good, trying to be polite, trying to make things better, trying to sort yourself out, then it's a great relief just to go to, the, to this open hearing sense. Oh, there's not much I in that. And also, but I'd also recommend that um, you know, the me can be quite a tyrant too. You know, in its own way, it's a victim tyrant. Some tyrants are victims. This one says, "You've got to be nice to me." <laughs> you know, you're too quiet for me. You're too noisy for me. You're too funny for me. You're too serious for me. You're too happy for me. You're too big for me. You're too small for me. You're too male for me. You're too female for me. You're too neutral for me. <laughs> you know, so it's that. It can be a, a tyrant saying, you know, 
could you turn down your, your focus, your brightness a bit, you're a bit too bright for me today, you know, so, so the me can be quite a tyrant. And even towards, towards yourself, of course, you know, you really get some of the me can be complaining. And so you can get this kind of uh, like a self-pitying um, is the mood that can come up from the, the, the victim quality. And then just being able to be directive, like saying, look, just walk, you know, um, eat your food, walk, tidy up, do something tangible. doesn't have to be life-changing. Just, you know, just get the sense of being able to direct yourself towards simple, finite, definite things with the sense of you pick it up, you take it through, you put it down, let go of it. You don't have to over, um, you know, is this the right cushion for me to pick up? How do I feel about that cushion? Is it calling for me or am I just being driven by a pathological guilt instinct to tidy up the shrine room? No, just could you just pick the cushion up and put it away, that's all. It doesn't have to be issues with it. So being able to be a bit directive and in meditation, just say, look, you know, just walk and feel your feet, get into your body and things of this nature, something that's quite simple. Um, so, and, and then, of course, with, with the, I haven't really talked about the, the um, somatic sense, but this is a, enormously helpful because, because we, for being able to reflect upon the being affected, which doesn't have the me, the I tones to it. So even when with the with the jitta, even when it goes into these more relaxed states, those those things are latent, as we may very well recognise. You know, you can go into, you may very well have, you know, certainly people do have these profound non-self experiences, apparently non-self experiences, and then come out of it, and then become extremely self about all that. Um, you know, the whole of the patterns snap back into snap back again. You know, this amazing revelation, and there you are being extremely um, proactive and and so on about it. You know, convinced and zealotry comes out of that. Or I can be just as irritable as one was before, um, but feeling a little more authorised to be that way because it's not self anyway. So it's uh, the the just the relaxing of these tendencies in samatha, however you do it, is not doesn't actually solve it. It can be helpful as a relief and a way of seeing the conditioned nature of it. But really, to be able to contemplate, even at an ordinary level, when the mind is just relatively calm and stable, the sense of me, the sense of I, and the the, the waverings of those what to do, what not to do, how am I feeling about this. And, hmm? This is very very tricky to do with the mind alone, so where the, the bodily the somatic effect is, is um, useful, because then 
we don't go into the complexities of the jitta blaming itself, denying itself, avoiding itself you just go into the somatic feeling of that mm. where the body, body tone um, is balanced you can feel the, the rippling or the fluctuations of effect and charge so that the, the responsive directive effect charges the body charges up in some way Kind of flare, affirming up or an enhancement of presence occurs, and you may feel it even kind of flushes up into your head or tightens up in your stomach. Particular zones of the body come alive. That's that's that. You don't have to name it as anger or greed or anything. Just that's that, because those terms always immediately trigger off a certain jitter response of oh should do something about that or something wrong with that this is why mindfulness of body is so helpful because it just bypasses all of those reverberations it's just feeling the feeling as a feeling as it said in the Satipatthana just feel the feeling as feeling as effect that's where you can feel it the, the ripple, the run of that and if the, it can be sensed, and we're just like a, the body doing something, the body experiencing something, it's much easier to allow that to run and pass without adding this other layer of me and I am to it. And the effective or the more passive sense in the body um, is not charged up like that. It's more um, the body can seem almost to disappear. So when it gets stressed, there's a sinking. It's almost like a the opposite of charging up, like a complete discharge, a sinking, a falling away, a disappearance. Um, hmm numbing out this is more tricky in a way so you know with these body meditation to be able to access the internal sense of the body is very important because that's there whether you're touching anything or not there's always a sense of the what I call the spinal sense not the bones but this kind of sense of having an upright body, the pressure, the weight, the text solidity of that, the warmth of that, the four elements, you know, warmth, mass, pressure is air, and uh, flow mo- mo- um, is, is water. Is feel, sense of those is internal quality. And you can feel the fluctuations of effect around those. You suddenly get very hard or um, dissolving sense or fluttery senses or heating up uh, just as that so it doesn't have to be the addition around that 
can still be alarming or uncomfortable to see how much is going on or feel how much is going on or going to these numb patches so certainly that directive to be able to get to the body it doesn't have to be particularly refined but the, the fundamental sense of body standing, walking, sitting, reclining you know it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that specialised but then you can do that through a considerable portion of the day you know, standing, walking, sitting, one of those you know, get in there, feel the meat if you like and then you can also go to the tactile when you're walking along and this is where mindfulness of breathing comes in because mindfulness of breathing is considered you know, sort of like standard paramount way of flowing through allaying, suffusing, reading, investigating, calming, steadying this bodily affective sense, kaya sankara just feeling the movement when you, and it can be any aspect of the breathing the sense of the body slightly swelling distending as you breathe in and um, subsiding as you breathe out a general sense of that it can be the respiratory sense of it the air and the slightly pressures the air creates in the body and the, the diminution of that pressure and the increase of that pressure it can be something more finite like the sense of air touching the nose or the throat but it doesn't give you a very overall sense so I'd recommend at least at first something more generalised because you can get a bigger experience of body or it can be the energetic sense which is when you're breathing in something flushes when you breathe out something softens it's the subtle quality of charge and discharge in the somatic sense with breathing it's maybe a bit subtle you know but you know just being able to get something there because if you can tune into that it's a very helpful way of staying in the body and allaying these um, affective things that's the samatha aspect and then reviewing them now that that is just that this is kind of tingle or surge or charge or tightening and you can investigate it this feels like fear or anger craving you you can investigate it but as long as you can investigate it with a sense of this is not describing me or I should get out of this or I shouldn't be this way this is just to open up the jitter to being able to experience that and as it experiences that it it starts to develop an ability to handle that so it doesn't create the kind of alarm and the suffering of that So, you know, as one can develop the contemplative life, it is a way in which, you know, we get more able to handle the effects of pain 
and not getting what we want and um, fatigue and death of people close to us these ranges of things mm. that's, that's the idea of it it's not so we get less and less capable and more and more you know, uh, restricted in what we can, we can receive but actually more capable of that yeah. being disliked whatever we, we experience we can experience that sense if maybe right, maybe wrong, don't know you can get that interpretation occurring you know, I'm not liked, I'm considered inferior well is there anybody who has not been considered inferior <laughs> sometime or another it's not pleasant but is this, this is the kind of thing that happens isn't it Mm. Now, can we, can that be sensed without all these reactions occurring? And if we can come out of the reactive effects, then we might be able to address the topic. Mm. But there's no addressing the topic if we're just going into reactions distraction, numbing, blaming, counter-reactions and so forth Mm. so in the body is the uh, path in this sense for the clearing, for the understanding of limitation of ignorance, for the removal of tangles and defilement um, for sense of pleasantness in the here and now and for liberation 